references here. First of all, Luke 16, 22, Jesus is speaking, and he is speaking regarding uh, a parable here in Luke 16, 22 about the rich man and Lazarus, and how the rich man was... Uh, not caring for Lazarus. And then it says in verse 22, the time came when the beggar died, that's Lazarus, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man died and was buried in hell where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. And now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. So that picture of Jesus, uh, and then again in Mark 9, beginning at verse 42. Jesus is speaking again, and if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And then, just a verse from 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, where it uh, is quoting from Isaiah, and it says, However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. So that's a reference to heaven our eternal home. People of God, we are looking uh, this afternoon at our eternal destiny, heaven or hell. And we are reflecting on that in relation to our confession, the Apostles' Creed. We 
said the Apostles' Creed this evening, and in the Apostles' Creed it mentions both. It says Jesus descended to hell, and then it says he ascended to heaven. That little phrase in the Apostles' Creed, he descended to hell, was not in there originally. The Apostles' Creed is one of the very, very earliest statements of faith. And it was a statement of faith used already as the early church, very soon after the disciples uh, began in in Acts 2, and, and they had the church in Jerusalem. And then when people were baptized, they were asked before they were baptized to state what they believed, and they would make a statement like the Apostles' Creed. So it has a history, and so our, our speaking it is, is part of that. This is what we believe. But for the first three or four hundred years, that little phrase, he descended to hell, was not in there. And then after much discussion, much reflection, it was added. And it has been there till now, Back in 1994, the Reformed churches in Australia put forward an official statement to all the Reformed churches in the world, and there are 280 different Reformed branches of the Reformed faith between different languages and different... And they they put out a statement in 1994 that we should remove that again. That it shouldn't be in there. And so, so there is still, that was discussed and that was talked about and it was refused. We did not agree to that statement from the churches in Australia. And so it's still in there and it's most likely going to stay there. <laughs> but I mention this because there, there is a, a sense of, yeah, what, what do we believe about heaven and hell? And, and there continues to be, yeah, discussion about that and, and maybe a little, a little bit of, yeah, it's things that we don't know exactly and so there is a little difference of opinion. Let me just highlight it for you as well in terms of the Heidelberg Catechism which uh, comments on the Apostles' Creed and on the handout, I did include the various questions and answers. We're not going to say them responsibly, but I do have, uh, in, in terms of the reality of uh, hell, answer, question answer 44, what does the Creed add? Why does the Creed add he descended to hell? And then notice the answer here. It says, uh, that confession assures me during attacks of deepest dread and temptation, so my deepest struggles, that Christ my Lord, by suffering unspeakable anguish, pain, and terror of soul on the cross, has delivered me from hellish anguish and torment. So the Catechism, commenting on the Apostles' Creed, is talking about not so much a literal, actual place, hell. It's talking about hellish suffering. 
It's talking about anguish, pain, and terror of soul in this life that I might experience and that Christ has experienced. So it's, it's, it's a, little, a little soft <laughs> in the sense of what, what is hell? What, what, what really is it that we believe? Now notice... The answer isn't giving a full description and it's not denying the reality, but it's, it's moving away a little bit. Notice in contrast, heaven, answer 46, heaven is a definite place. And so it says, answer 46, he ascended to heaven that Christ, while his disciples watched, was taken up from the earth into heaven and remains there on our behalf until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. It's not, it's not that when I'm very joyful here that I feel like I'm, like I'm almost in heaven or that, that just if, if complete happiness and fulfillment, just that feeling is heaven. No, there's an actual place. And again in answer 49, the benefit that Jesus is bodily in heaven, one benefit is that we have our own flesh. Very, very physical. We have our own flesh, our physical flesh in heaven, in that place. And that Christ our head will also take us to be his members up to himself. So our, our confession uh, demonstrates a very interesting presentation that reflects our general human perspective. If I were to ask you, do you believe that there is an actual physical heaven, an actual place, a physical space, a physical presence, you would say, for sure. No doubt about it. We long for heaven. We understand it as an eternal, joyous, wonderful place with God in glory. But if I asked you, is there an actual physical place? Hell. People would pause It's not a nice place. Eternal suffering, anguish, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth is the grinding of teeth when the pain is unbearable and you even grind your teeth down just cracking them. It's, it's gnashing of teeth is an awful, awful thing. How can there be a place like that? Would God create a place like that? Are people doomed to go there? And so, on the one hand, understandably, we have an aversion to, to thinking about and, and going on about a place like that.
So answer 44 in the, in the catechism too goes with a, doesn't, doesn't go into it in detail either. So how do we understand these things exactly? As Reformed Christians, we do believe in a literal, physical heaven and a literal, physical hell. That's what we believe. We believe heaven is where Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. And we believe hell is the place where the devil and the evil angels and all who follow his lies will go. The Bible speaks about both, heaven and hell, as actual places. Why do we, why do we hold to that? Well, because the Bible speaks about it, definitely. But the initial reason we believe in both goes back even just to a, a general understanding of God's creation and, and of who we are. And so it, it begins with an understanding of humanity and the, the understanding of the human person and the human being and the human race. And in contrast to many who feel that people exist only for a short time on this planet from the time they're conceived to the time that they die, and then you're gone forever, we don't see it that way. We would agree that that describes animals, dogs and cats and horses. They are born here, they live for a time, and then they die. And that's the end. But we, as human beings, are made in the image of God. And God breathed into us the breath of life. He ensouled us. We are, we have souls. We are living souls. In the Hebrew, nephesh, a living soul. You're not even a body. Your body is secondary. You are a living soul. Your first identity is your soul. Your eternal soul. That's who you are. You are an eternal being. We are eternal beings. We are known from all eternity in God's plan, and we are to live in all eternity under God's rule. God has destined for all of us an eternal future. So this earthly life will continue into eternity. And so we need to understand where we will be. Our eternal destiny will take place somewhere. And that brings out the two options. Where will you spend that eternal future, which is part of who you are? Based on our life here, determines where we will spend eternity. And it's vital that we know that, we realize that, and that all people realize that. Many today deny that they are eternal beings. 
They don't want to think of themselves that way, and they don't want to be told about that. They do not consider anything beyond the grave. This is a wrong understanding, but it, it impacts their lives totally because they're just living for today. And when you live for the day, for your own personal pleasure, greed, fame, fortune, no real caring for others because you are just living for the day. And you are just making the best of this life, getting what you can here and now. Because life is temporal, not eternal. That is a wrong understanding. In contrast, a true biblical Christian view is a long view. And if you are living this life with a long view, then you can be generous here. You can be generous here because you know that God will be generous to you in ways that you can't imagine. You can truly love and care and, and deny yourself and even have no fear of death because we have that eternal future. We have far greater things that are in store for us, which is that context of 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. You, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no eye has, con no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. So as, as you live for God here, as you serve God here, as you humble yourself as Christ humbled himself, then, then you, are, you are living with an eternal future in mind. And you are living in peace and joy, though, though you don't have everything here. But that's not all that there is. There is more, better, sweeter, finer, than our limited minds can comprehend. So the first thing we need to be reminded of, and let me assure you again this afternoon, that key biblical insight, we are in fact eternal beings. So we will go somewhere after this life. Then the options are heaven or hell. Jesus speaks the most about these two. He talks a lot about heaven and hell. He doesn't do it like those fire and brimstone preachers of, of the 1700s in the States. There are stories of, of the revival preachers. Maybe you've heard of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards is one of the most famous ones, Puritan preacher, and he was... Uh, Famous for his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. That's his most famous sermon. I listened to it again on YouTube. You can, you can type it in. Jonathan Edwards, Sinners. And, and it comes up. And, and one of uh, uh, a person reads it, presents it. And whoa, it's, it's scary. It, it goes on at length about the fact that if we are not careful, we are doomed to the fires of hell. 
It goes on in great detail about how hot they are, about how terrible it is, about how we are all really going there. That's really the basic way we are going, unless and only if we turn. Very graphic, very extensive. We are all dangling over that great fire. Part of the, the response, uh, the historical response to him preaching those messages was that people, people were scared. They were, they were scared. And, and they, were, they were crying out and they were calling out, how then can we be saved? It was very extreme. That sense of preaching the reality of hell is, is less that the sense of that is, is, is less today partly because uh, and I'll get to that in a minute but generally uh, speaking of that reality with, with proper fear and sadness is that it is a reality that, that people will go there. That's, that's tragic. And, and that, that is how we understand, too, and, and approach that. So in the Apostles' Creed, we confess that Jesus descended there. But his descending there showed his power over hell to deliver. But those who deny Jesus will end up in that awful place. That is the sad reality. One, another option that's taken by popular Christian author Rob Bell. Rob Bell, he, he has reflected on these things, and among others, he's probably the most popular, the most uh, recent one to bring out the response his book, Love Wins. I have it if you'd like to read it. But it basically says, there is no hell. God will save all in the end. And so, so that denial is present among various Christian witnesses. That's the, the complete contrast to the Puritans and Jonathan Edwards. Don't worry, God will save everybody. And the reality of the gospel is, could God save everybody? And the answer is yes. And was Jesus' sacrifice on the cross sufficient to cover all the sins of all people? The answer is yes. And then you have uh, verses here, like 1 Corinthians uh, 15, verse 22, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And so, so you, you think, okay, the world fell into sin through Adam, and it wasn't their fault, specifically, right? Adam sinned, and so, but then everybody became, became included. So now in Christ, everybody gets saved. And so, so that kind of discussion takes place, but it does not 
it does not take into account the reality that the Bible very clearly says there are those who will not be saved. And that's expressed as we read in Luke 16, verse 22. The time came when the beggar died, and the angel carried him to heaven, to Abraham's side. But the rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he was in torment. And also from Luke, uh, or Mark 9, where you have that, that sense of, of the seriousness of the reality of, of eternal punishment, where that it can be felt with hands and feet, it can be seen with your eyes. And so, so it is a reality, and not all will be saved. One of the helpful understandings is that the Bible describes hell with a Greek word, Gehenna. And the word Gehenna is translated ten times in the New Testament as hell. And it is an actual place. Gehenna is a valley just outside Jerusalem. There's various valleys, and this is the valley of Hinnon, and it's an actual place. And it's the place where they burned the garbage of the city of Jerusalem. And at times, the bodies of those who had died and weren't buried would be burned in the fires of the valley of Hinnon. So it became a picture of a place where bodies would be burned in the fire. And that became a picture then translated as hell. It's used again in Luke 12, verse 4 and 5. Jesus is speaking, and he says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after the killing of the body, has power to throw you into hell, Gehenna. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So Jesus, Jesus talks about that reality. In fact, in the Bible, he talks the most about both heaven and hell. He came to deliver people from that very real threat. He warned people. He brought them the knowledge. And then, and then he invited them to trust in him as Lord and Savior. And it's very striking in terms of when you study how Jesus talked about heaven and hell. He was not a fire and brimstone preacher in that way. It's very striking. He never threatened people, uncertain sinners with hell. In Luke 16 and in Mark 9, he's talking to, to disciples, to followers, to those who know of grace and salvation. He speaks about hell to them. And the reason he speaks to those who, who know grace, who know the, the saving work of God, who look to Jesus as the Savior... He speaks to them about hell in order to develop in them an urgency to go out and save the lost. 
So he doesn't, he doesn't just go out to people who don't know anything about God or the Bible or church or faith or anything and start talking to them about hell. He talks to those who are brought in. And he works in them a sense of, okay, now you have to go and warn others. That's, that's the sense of, of to inspire, to encourage, to, to get believers to share with those who are lost. To the lost, to sinners, to the crowds, he spoke exclusively of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like a great feast. It's like a wonderful banquet. It's like a pearl of great price. It's like a treasure. And so he expresses the assurance of heaven to them. And sinners respond to that loving and gracious invitation. And that, that is the, the constant witness that we need to bring as well. In our confession in the Apostles' Creed, when we say that too, Jesus descended to hell, that's a reality for us that we see, okay, that's, that's a reality we need to be reaching out to those who don't know the Lord. And that he ascended to heaven, a confession that that is the hope that we have and that we want to draw sinners into that grand and glorious hope. The Heidelberg Catechism was written in the 1500s in the church in Heidelberg, Germany. If you walked into that church in Heidelberg, Germany, the first thing you would see, almost like our banner, our anniversary banner, though, though even right more central yet, you would see in that church in Heidelberg, Christian church, Protestant church, you would see a big mural of, of hell. As you walked into the church, whoa, that's pretty inviting. As you went in, boom, big picture. Fire and torment and all of that. And then you came into the main sanctuary and there, as believers, you were, you were told about the Savior, reminded of the Savior. You were, you were given that assurance of the gospel. You were presented with that grace and that truth. And then, and then you, were, you were sent out as those saved to reach others. And that's the similar picture between the, the reality of hell, yes, sad but true, the assurance of heaven, that's the hope that we have and that we need to go out with into this world. And that as we even today have that reality. In our confession, we, we speak about both. Every time we say that confession, we speak about hell, we speak about heaven. That we have that sense in our lives too, that we need to share the good news with those who have not heard. And that our confession would continue to guide us in that, 
as church, to be a witness to the world, to Jesus as Savior. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you 